This is Kanzenshu, the podcast, episode 429 for the week of October 15th, 2017. What's up? Welcome to Kanzen Shu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzen Shu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. Firing podcasts in rapid succession here, back for episode 429 in your ears. My name is Mike Vegito EX. One of those wonderful episodes where I've already recorded and edited the topic segment, so I get to just kick back and record the surrounding content for the episode. This week on the show, our old good buddy Lance is joining Joining me to talk about a fascinating interview that is just about exactly a year old at this point. There's an interview Forbes did with Kazuhiko Torishima. We of course know Torishima as uh, essentially the person who discovered Akira Toriyama and was his first editor throughout the entirety of Dr. Slump and quite a ways into the Dragon Ball series. This interview was wonderful. We're going to hyper focus on one very specific portion and that's Torishima talking about the shift in the TV series adaptation from Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z. Some of the reasons for that shift on the production side leading into the marketing side and it may flip everything that fans like us at Kanzenshu say completely on its head although we're going to be getting to that maybe it does maybe it doesn't at all maybe spoiler alert we're still in complete disbelief and filled with curiosity even after having everything explained to us so look forward to that that is our topic segment coming shortly here on the show um i was planning on doing a news segment but it's been a relatively light week the only real news story that's come out and dates back a little bit more than the last week and that's shueisha is uh putting out digital versions of all the film anime comics we're going to hold on to that though because that's a full-on topic I want to do talking about the film anime comics some of the special stuff in them so for now I'll say just check out the news post on the website check out uh, the expansive manga section on our website we don't cover just the original manga not just the Dragon Ball Super manga but all the film anime comics all the TV anime comics all the spin-offs all the crossovers there's so much stuff there in the manga guide check that on out and I guess just stay tuned in the near future for a larger discussion about the film anime comics so otherwise what do we have on tap for well, we have the topic and then we're going to come back and I'll wrap up the show with just a little bit of random Q&A here. That's our episode for the week. So joining me right now, Lance, going to talk about this interview with Kazuhiko Torishima and the shift from Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z. See you on the flip side. I love it when people pitch me on topics and it's someone I like and it's a topic I like and I say, hey, that's a good idea. And I can't quite claim credit for the idea, but because it's on my show, I get to take a little bit of credit for it. <laughs> Joining me to talk about, man, a, a slew of things, but it's all like hyper-focused around this one little tiny portion of the series, yet its ramifications were great. <laughs> Die ramifications. Is that a phrase in Japanese? I don't know if that truly exists. Lance, how are you, man? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm great. It's nice to actually have a video conversation, too. Usually it's Heath and I, and that's about it. And sometimes other people are on, and I usually don't have video. And I record with Julian. He's like laying down somewhere. Julian typically records the podcast laying down. It's like the super secret of the show here. So, so when the video's going on, does that just mean you like you see you see the back of his wall, and Julian's on the floor somewhere? <laughs> and <you> yes, yeah. <laughs> it's usually how it goes. <laughs> so this is very nice, very nice. Um, yeah, like I said, you pitched me on this topic, and I was I was really excited to to talk about this. So there was an interview 
on Forbes about a year ago. Almost exactly a year ago. Almost exactly a year. So we can say it's like the one year anniversary of the interview. <laughs> Great chance to talk about it again. Uh, with Kazuhiko Torishima. Longtime fans of Konzenshu probably know exactly who that is. I guess you can say he's the guy who discovered Toriyama. Uh, he really mentored him leading up to Dr. Slump, uh, the first success. And he was Toriyama's uh, first and only editor for a while through the entirety of Dr. Slump and then through the beginning parts uh, quite a ways into Dragon Ball before turned over to his second and third editor there for the Dragon Ball series. But Torishima is not just important to Akira Toriyama, but important to Shueisha as a whole. I mean, he's an important big name head honcho moved on to much bigger roles within Shueisha. Uh, he's he's a key figure in the history of Dragon Ball. When we have a chance to listen to him, to hear from him and kind of tear apart what he gives us, it's important that we do so. And what I love about him is that he's such a big deal. He can be really candid about things and he just says stuff. And we're like, oh my God, we never knew that. Where did that come from? Oh my God, that like enlightens so many different things. And this is precisely one of those examples where he drops little tidbits in this interview. It's like, oh, we never knew that. Thanks. Awesome. Okay, let's fill that in. That connects to this dot and this dot and this dot. And now this all makes sense. This is the craziest interview I've read in a while. And I, I admit before before I was prepping for this podcast, I'd only read the Dragon Ball sections of this. I, I went back and read the whole thing. Oh my God, isn't it, it so good? He's like, it was a- <laughs> I, I could have fixed that series. I, I could have fixed Berserk. Yeah. And also, it just, it would just jump back and forth between being really... Uh, insightful and then being really insane. It's like, oh yeah, I, I never really fit in my hometown and so I, I right, did a lot right. of reading as a kid and they're like, oh, is that how you got into manga? And he's like, no, I was actually peeing at a urinal and I looked up at the moon <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. And then it's like, but that's how I got into philosophy and right. I was reading Nietzsche and confi- I'm like, oh, that's really deep. And then he goes, yeah, but then I got bored with that and started reading porn instead. <laughs> and just- you can see how he and Toriyama are just two peas in a pod. This is the match made in heaven. I love how he talks about Toriyama too where it's they were kind of doing things to spite each other it felt like it was a a tug of war back and forth consistently over time and that's going to be a little bit of what we're talking about but not entirely because what we're talking about really has nothing to do with Toriyama at all it's really strange because we always have this sort of tug of war in the fandom between the people who uh you know consider Dragon Ball Z a very separate element from Dragon Ball and you know, and especially fans of the English dub. If I'm going to generalize horribly right now, right. Um, you know, where it's like, oh, the tone is different. The way it was marketed, it was different. And and there, you know, the dub, the music is different. Uh, the you know, voice cast changes when the characters get older. Whereas they consider Dragon Ball to be more of a you know lighthearted type of thing, which has caused us to have more of a reactionary type of. Well, you know, the manga was one series. It was, sure. and and the tonal shift was gradual. But like I read this article, I read this interview with Torishima, and it sort of put a whole new spin on it because we never really knew where the Z, we know where the title came from. The Toriyama made that up. Yeah, well, what was the impetus for that? Like, why they even do that in the first place? Exactly. Like, as far as I know, we never had any kind of insight into that before. But here's Torishima saying that he wanted it, or that he was instrumental in bringing that about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he wasn't satisfied with the tone, which kind of plays into what other people say about the tone shift, but it's kind of backwards. It's kind of inverted. It's kind of inverted from what the argument usually is. Yeah. So I guess let's set the stage here. You kind of introduced it, but we need to backpedal a little, little bit. We are not talking about anything other than the original Japanese version of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, specifically the TV series adaptations of 
the original manga there. Uh, despite all the stuff that Funimation's dub does around this, all of its different marketing styles, its release cycles, its release schedules, and how that kind of plays in, it actually has nothing to do with this conversation whatsoever. Backtracking a little bit now to Torishima's comments in the interview, why don't you explain a little bit... I mean, I guess we have to back up even further. So they did a TV series adaptation of Dr. Slump. And from the sounds of it, Torishima wasn't entirely happy with that the entire time either. No, he, he made it sound like there was a uh, sort of a control issue that he felt they took too many liberties with the source material. They didn't really that Shueisha and the you know, people associated with the manga didn't really have much say and how things were going, they didn't really have a hand in it. So by the time they saw the episode, it was already too late to change things. And right. he said he wanted to yeah. make that different with Dragon Ball. Which is crazy to me because that's exactly the situation Torishima was in with Toriyama himself. Where Toriyama wouldn't deliver things until the last second. He, he talks about this with Mashirito. It's like, well, by the time that's that right. got delivered to me, I couldn't change it because we had to go to print. So you can see how he's struggling with Toriyama doing this to him. He's struggling with Toei doing this to him. But that's... That's really fascinating. It's like, yeah, okay, I guess. But Dr. Slump was completely different than how Dragon Ball would end up being, where Dr. Slump are these very self-contained little stories. Chapters generally have nothing to do with each other. You may have a series of four or five chapters later on that are an ongoing story, but you can see how things might be getting away from them a little bit. All right, let's pull this in, especially when Dragon Ball is this very serialized story. That makes sense that they would want to have a little bit more control, a little bit more say, a little bit more direction over that final animated product. Yeah, and, and the way I've always seen it is I feel that compared to a lot of anime adaptations, Dragon Ball, and a, a, lot, a lot of the time, is almost panel for panel. It is. Recreation. Like, I've, I've been doing a viewing of the entire series for like the past few years because I don't have any free time to <laughs> watch things. But yeah, I'll follow along with the manga, and and it's almost always the exact same composition. Aside from the you know the additional material that the, the anime tends to add in, but for the most part, it is almost always spot on. So I, I guess in that sense, he got what he wanted. Right, which is very different from, I think, of some of the other contemporaries of the time. Sailor Moon, for example, turned into a very much episodic monster of the week kind of villain where the monster of the week in the manga was actually like one of those main bad guys that they would build up to over a series of episodes in the TV series. Uh, mm -hmm. Ranma would go in totally different directions. And then the OVAs would go back and retell some of the manga chapters that they never did. Now, I'm thinking of Sailor Moon, like, is it the S- movie with the, the ice queen or whatever, which is actually yeah. manga material made into a movie instead of in the TV series. So you can see how all these different, not that Rama is directly related. I mean, Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball are kind of like, again, related in uh, in this respect. You can see it's like, all right, we want to have really full control over the direction here. So I kind of get where they're coming from a little bit where, all right, Dr. Slump was a massive success. We've talked about this. Toriyama was already a household name. He was already rich. He was already being hounded by the press. If Dragon Ball is going to be the follow-up to that and they have goals of making that i mean that was the entire reason we know this that he was allowed to stop dr slump was do something bigger and better that you also mm -hmm. enjoy at the same time because toriyama wanted to move on too so they wanted dragon ball to be massive this just keeps feeding back into the we want ultimate control over this so i kind of get where they're coming from but apparently even even with that uh torishima still was not happy with the way the uh, the first uh, television series was going yeah, that, that's bizarre to me. And he talks about specifically the fight with Goku versus Demon King Piccolo mm -hmm. and how when he saw that, it was that moment when Goku pierces Piccolo that he knew he could not continue. Things must change. And I look at it and go, like, that is 
a, a perfect approximation of the iconic visual from the manga. I can't really ask for much better from what they gave me in the TV series. I mean, they're they're literally using the manga as a storyboard and everything comes across and the voices are perfect and the music is perfect. What else do you need, man? Yeah, and, and the, the comment that really sort of confused me or really stuck in my craw was he he specifically says that he felt that the uh the the producer of the dragon ball tv series was making this too much like dr slump something he says quote cute and funny and i look at that scene and i don't really i i don't i don't get that i don't get it either no I mean, I think to a lot of maybe filler material leading up to that arc and around that arc, around the 22nd Pudokai into Piccolo stuff. I always call back to the Ginkaku and Kinkaku episode. I love that, but it is kind of slapsticky and kind of weird and just extra material. And that, because it's original, doesn't reflect what's in the in the manga and maybe like that kind of stuff was going in different directions than he wanted to. But at the same time, like we know they had to come up with extra material. So unless Toriyama is going to write that extra material for them, which, you know, he occasionally would do character designs and extra story bits. But then I feel like as far as we know, Toriyama didn't do any of that extra help for them until mostly in Z. I'm, I'm just kind of piecing this all together as we talk. I think, too, like Yamcha is a baseball player, um, mm. Illusion Science, even his help with like Paiyuhan, that kind of stuff. Like We don't know much about Toriyama's involvement with the first TV series, do we? Well, I, I do recall that he uh, was responsible for the design of the fire-eating bird okay. in the last couple episodes. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's again, that's towards the end, around this yep. point where Toriyama's already decided that something new needs to be done. Maybe something he didn't talk about there was him grabbing Toriyama and saying, hey, can you throw some stuff our way for this? But yeah, so what else do you think is going on around this point? Or can you find nothing in the Dragon Ball TV series that you think backs up what Torishima is talking about? Tone-wise, no. So I do have to keep on going back to that issue of control because I do... Part, part of me feels like the original TV series took a bit more... Uh, a few more risks with the source material. I mean, you have that whole section where with the uh, the Choshinsui, right, right. which is totally different in the anime than it is in the manga, where he has this whole quest with Yajirobe through these mystical caves and fights this uh, evil version of Kame Senin, where in the manga it was simply... Karin has the water and gives him the water, and that's right. the end of and it. That's it, yeah, yeah. And and so I so I'm wondering because like there aren't that many instances in Z, I don't think, where they took you know where they where they really deviated that much until maybe Great Saiyaman, which is years after sure. Torishima left. Right, and I want to talk about that split at some point too. But you're right. I I feel like the filler in Z turned much more into the cliche staring contests, uh, empowering up sequences to fill out that time as opposed to the first TV series. I mean, looked at. At the first arc, uh, I I love the was it like the the mafia crocodile on Kamisenin's uh, <laughs> <laughs> island and Pilaf is there too. Like I don't know what this is, but it's actually really hysterical. But that's mm-hmm. also the funny part of the series. But yeah, so is there just a very distinct contrast between their approaches between those two? I guess maybe I, I'm not sure. I but but what surprised me is that. Um, the the shift happened actually before the end of the first TV series. Yeah, Torishima said that he was a fan of the uh, Saint Seiya right. anime, and he pulled uh, Morishita Kozo 
and uh, and Koyama Takao, who was a pretty familiar name among Dragon Ball fans, uh, he he invented Broly among other things. Right. And so uh, Mor- Morishita was added as uh, planning alongside Sh- uh, Shichijo Keizo, and Koyama Takao was added as series composition, which apparently had not been a title used on Dragon Ball prior to this. And they started on episode 132. Uh, Hotter Than Magma, which is the last filler episode before the 23rd Budokai began. So that entire last story arc had this new team that would carry on into into what would become Dragon Ball Z. We were talking about this before we started recording, but my first fan subs, which I guess technically aren't fan subs, they were Nippon Golden Network, NGN subs. Uh, that's actually where it started. It was that Volcano episode right before the tournament and then through to the end of uh, the TV series. So it's weird that my first personal exposure, other than uh, the 95 dub, was... <laughs> with the Koyama stuff at the very end of the series. No, eventually I made my way back through tapes and stuff as well. But um, yeah, that's really curious. And series composition, I mean, that's a, a standard title these days for lots of shows. Uh, but it's curious that suddenly Koyama appears with that title. But again, I, I keep I want to keep harping on what else is going on around this time of the King Piccolo fight that Torishima's just got something under his skin that he feels the need to exercise this control and i i can't really put my finger on it at the same time maybe that's what makes him such an expert i mean he clearly dictated the amazing success of multi-billion dollar franchise well you know what I find really weird about this is that, okay, so when the 23rd Budokai starts and Torishima gets these changes in, where's the manga right then? The manga at that point is during the battle with Raditz, which if I recall mm. is a, right around the time where Tor- Torishima stepped down as Toriyama's mm. editor. So this right, might have been right. like the last major thing he did, and yet he was still wanting to make this really major change into this work he was about to leave. That's crazy, yeah. And I don't know what the circumstances were uh, around that. I don't know that we... We do know. Uh, I mean, obviously, he had some role changes coming up for him there at Shueisha. Um, maybe I should have done the research into what the time frame was where he, <laughs> he went on beyond that. But yeah, that's crazy. Like he he wasn't slowing down with what he wanted to do with the series. But yeah, I, I spot checked a few areas of the Piccolo arc, like you know, major moments like the fight. I watched obviously the the death scene. I watched Kuridin's death at the beginning. Yeah, and and I still. I, I don't know. I guess I'm not seeing it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something that he didn't, you know, that he saw that I didn't. But yeah, I agree <laughs> entirely because this is something we often talk about. There are conversations like, "Oh, the Z shift makes such sense because that's when it becomes a, a hard sci-fi show," and we're constantly talking about like, "No, go back further." And even though it's not sci-fi, it's mystical sci-fi, and there is death, and there is blood, and there are broken necks, and there's all sorts of stuff going on back there. It's super villains, and you got your giant key blasts going on. Back back there too i mean everything that you know from the cyan arc really started 22nd budokai and went onward from there yeah so i think this pretty much blows that theory out of the water that you know that the the split was made because of some major story change or something it happened because toriyama brought these new people on and one of them suggested hey if you make a new series then we'll get more money for marketing. And that's yeah. really how that came about. So it had nothing to do with science fiction or Goku being an alien or, you know, the tone of the manga changing. 
Right, right. It, it was strictly, it wasn't even marketing. It was marketing was the benefit of these other production decisions that they were making. So it was purely on the production side. I, I will say the one thing I noticed just looking at the 23rd Budokai, which I suppose in the terms of the anime, since it has the new staff, yeah. is kind of the is kind of the proto-Z. I, I did notice that there is one kind of Z staple in there where it's when, when Piccolo is charging up his, was it the, the Cho Bakuretsu Maha? I always forget the name of it. <laughs> no, you got it totally right. Yep. Uh, uh, and it literally takes half an episode yep. of him just standing there charging. I remember watching that subtitle for the first time. I'm going, oh my God. And then I had an episode around there. I think I've talked about this where I actually have no video on that tape. It's just audio and it's just static for an entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it can't get any worse. He's been charging for half an episode and then I have no episode around here too. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of brutal. You know what I wanted to talk about around this point? I think despite all the changes that are being made here on the TV, series i find the most drastic change is not in the tv series it's actually over in the movies we had dragon ball movie one which is a retelling of the very beginning with some alternate elements that makes total sense movie two is a quarter or a third retelling and then also original story movie three is like retelling two different arcs at the same time in a different setting then suddenly we get to the dragon ball z movies which become alternate what if side stories the same new staff that's in charge of them over there so i feel like are they exercising their control more over like are we seeing the effects of their control over there but i also didn't do the research to see what was going on with the other movies at the same time <laughs> around that time uh, i know when dbz movie 3 came out that was the toriyama the world special where it was i think Pink, uh, Kinosuke-sama, and uh, TBZ Movie 3. Uh, and somewhere around there, a movie aired with like Ninku and Slam Dunk. And this was definitely the time when it was, we're going to tell stories that somewhat reflect what's going on in the TV series so we don't alienate audiences while we simultaneously bring in new audiences. And I'm not really doing anything other than explaining what the movies are. However, I, I think that's where I'm seeing giant production shift. Yeah, definitely. I, I think because because. Yama's credited as the writer on pretty much all of those Z movies. Yeah, he's pretty much handled everything over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's ever really been confirmed. My my thoughts on the on the first three Dragon Ball movies. I, I you can we can watch all three of those together and they form their own kind of separate trilogy. Like you you can watch one to the other to the other and they flow seamlessly into each other. They are their yeah. own separate story and it does yeah, like you, totally feel like its own continuity over there in the movies for sure yeah well the z movies didn't really try in terms of making a new I, continuity it was just we plucked the characters out of the show throw them into this movie yeah and there you go don't think about it too much right is it that koyama then had an outlet to do what he wanted to do over there. Uh, I know something that uh, our buddy in Japan, K-17, has brought up on occasion is Koyama's into this weird semi-cultish kind of religion with the way that energy works. And some of the stuff at the end of DBZ Movie 8 where the precise ways that people donate energy to Goku seems to eerily reflect uh, some of the religious school of thought that Koyama is into. And in particular, we always talk about these like escalating levels of Goku-ness where we go from Toriyama's manga Goku to Toei's TV series Goku to then Koyama's theatrical Goku. Is this the only place that Koyama can exercise his control? So like we have Torishima over here being the top dog in terms of control and then Koyama's over here doing his own thing. It does, does sound kind of interesting. I mean, I, I wonder if things would have been different in the Z era if Torishima was still 
directly over Dragon Ball at that point. I, I wonder if Torishima even got what he wanted out of that. If he was looking back going, right. uh, this isn't what I wanted after all. Well, but yeah, I mean, the only other example we have is uh, the the now infamous case of the rotating villains in the Cell Arc, what became mm-hmm. the Cell Arc of the series, where we have different people, former editor and then later current editor, and then former editor again, depending on what order we're going in here, saying, nah, I don't like the fat guy and the geezer and i don't like the kids and uh, that form looks stupid um so torishima kind of leaves but in many ways doesn't leave uh, his influence feels like it's there on the series for a really long time yeah even just based on the interview he definitely seems like the kind of guy who doesn't really uh mince words when it comes to what he feels is is best about things uh he has a great deal of confidence about the uh about the direction he wants the, the things he's working on to go so <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, even even when he's not there anymore, he still exactly. gets his way. <laughs> and we know that's why Battle of Gods became what it was. It was Torishima who was doing the nudge, nudge. Hey, Toriyama, maybe you should come take a look at this and maybe exercise some control of your own over your own thing. And that's what turned stuff from Watanabe's script and uh, Yamamuro's designs into the the things that we see in the final product. Instead of the bulky and the cape and the uh, the poison lizard, we get the the skinny and the cat. Of course, you have Kuyama's Goku who raises birds from the dead. <laughs> right. Well, that's one of those other examples, too. Well, here's where I want to go. Uh, I told we kind of hinted at this earlier, but let's talk about the, the split into Z versus the split into the Boo arc of the series. Uh, I think they're comparable in many ways. We have yeah. uh, later in Z, it's not really a title change, but we have an underlying musical motif change. Uh, we get a new opening theme. We get music that reflects that opening and that ending theme. Uh, we have time shifts that happen at that same time. In many ways, I feel like they could have rebranded the Boo arc. They effectively did rebrand the Boo arc. They just did so in everything but title. There's also the fact that uh, like late Cell arc was when we got a lot of new animation studios Mm. Yeah, to, re- to replace, you know, so, so it was in a lot of ways a new look to the show, or at least it was certain, like Studio Cockpit, for example, was a very different looking studio than we'd seen before, and they really came into being in the late Cell arc, so Boo arc was when they really sort of came into their own, right. and really made the series look their own, you know, its own way. Well, and we also had shifting character designers on the, the TV series going on at the same time. That's right, We know yeah. that Maeda was having uh, trouble adjusting to some of the more angular stuff that Toriyama was doing. And that's when we shifted to Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru, who uh, took over on the character design uh, landscape and eventually turned over to Yamamuro uh, as well there. That's reflected in the animation in the TV series, too. Uh, you know, you actually brought this all up in a, a forum post over on Konzenshu. And something you were talking about was the animation and the art and the cyan arc really feels at times approaching theatrical quality, at least for Dragon Ball theatrical quality at the time. And then it just heavily nosedives. And I kind of agree with you. I think we've had great animation and great art, but not necessarily at the same time to the same level as Goku versus Vegeta in the Saiyan arc. Yeah, I I really wish I could pin down more about what happened. I know there were certain internal things going on at certain studios around the middle freeze arc, which kind of caused the decline. I know like uh, Segasha was undergoing like a... a leadership shift at the time. Last House was sort of nosediving at that point, yeah, too. Right. <laughs> uh, where he was losing all of his key animators. 
but yeah, there was just sort of this magic moment where I, I, I guess maybe they'd gotten a boost from the whole, you know, relaunching the series thing, but it looked really, really good in those, that first year or so. Like everybody, uh, you know, Studio Live wasn't, you know, was, was, was Studio Live. But, <laughs> yeah, you uh, <laughs> have those episodes. I always like to talk about how when Goku's neck is like three heads tall during certain episodes, like that was my introduction to the bad animation days. Why is his neck so tall there? Yeah, we had those moments, but. Oh, and, and, St- and Studio Live took like two years to get Vegeta right. Like his, his yeah. head was like, <laughs> was like five feet tall and the widow's peak was like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, God. And there's the, what if people called it? The, uh, the Lupin Vegeta on Namek yes. where he's doing that weird angular pose and like there's nothing to his torso. So they were definitely bad animation days right, but right. overall it seemed like it was better uh, for some reason, for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just nostalgia on my part but it really seems like it is overall just of a higher higher regular quality than it would be in any other part of the franchise. Right and like you were kind of alluding to, is it just that um, renewed enthusiasm from alright we've rebranded and we got we got a fresh chance to approach it and everyone's excited for a little bit and then the usual just slump into the day-to-day workflow you said slump in a dragon ball podcast i think it's uh, it's also you mentioned the boo arc that's just like with the split to z that was around the time that toriyama got a new editor so it's interesting that those those sort of branding or theme song shifts would happen at sort of key points in the manga serialization too and like you were talking about earlier the the great Saiyaman arc is that's one of those only instances in the tv series where the same events happen in drastically different ways and i i've i believe i've read other places that uh, his editor then was at uh, takeda like toriyama said that takeda was much more lenient when it came to things so so it's possible that he wasn't like getting his hands into the tv series and say no no you gotta we gotta have more control over this and maybe that's why the Saiyaman stuff turned out the way it did yeah, yeah, I guess we had the Afterlife Tournament there where it's, all right, we're going to do some original thing, buy ourselves a little time, and we're going to just do our own thing with the Saiyaman arc, and did they just fall back into the, well, Toriyama was just giving us storyboards, essentially, so we might as well just make that. Or it might have been, by that point, Dragon Ball was so popular that they can just sort of get away with doing whatever they wanted to now. Right, and I mean, there are a lot of complaints about the Boo arc in terms of its filler and the way it extends scenes, and unfortunately, that came right back around again in the uh, Kai adaptation of the boo arc and that was all on toei where they just didn't give any fucks at that point about working on kai but we we do know that z sort of set the precedent for those uh really long uh description and now extending uh extending description thing you know two-part titles description Uh, slash question yeah (laughs) because you know in dragon ball was pretty much always just one or two or three words for the most part Dragon Ball Z started that trend, and all all the movies had it too, which which were also you know written by Koyama. So you know that that's sort of like one of the trademarks of of Japanese Dragon Ball, because Kai had it, Super still has it, GT had it. Mm-hmm. But that that started right there in Z, and that sort of carried through everything since then. You never see, uh, with the exception of the new movies. You, you never right. see just short titles in Dragon Ball anymore, at least Dragon Ball animation. Yeah, and another thing you brought up was that the original Dragon Ball TV series didn't have its own set recap music. Uh, it would cycle through depending on what they were doing. But, but yeah, yeah, there was no set uh, recap music, and I'm, I'm sure you know that from starting the, the podcast the first yeah, episode yeah, of the podcast I, I know, was Z. Was, <laughs> that was one of the things I ran into. And then when I finished Z, I'm like, well, I guess I just go forward. And I, Dark Secret, I by this point, I think I'm 
supposed to have shifted to something other than Kai. I can't remember. I was and wondering a, I, how I, long. I was like, Kai, I've Kai gone way gone too long. long. <laughs> I actually have a spreadsheet somewhere and I haven't opened it in years because I'm afraid to because I know I'm like a hundred beyond where I'm supposed to have shifted it by now. So it no longer actually works anymore. Well, maybe maybe this is going to be the episode where it finally happens. Hmm. Uh, or maybe not. It. Maybe probably not. <laughs> I'll forget by next week when I edit this. <laughs> yeah. Dragon Ball had some shifts. Tori Shima was there for some of them. He certainly had thoughts. <laughs> and he made those thoughts uh, very well known to the people who were <laughs> who were carrying out that work. He definitely did. So what do you think is the ultimate takeaway here? Uh, the TV series had, I guess, it had a drastic production shift. I mean, we know it did just uh, by the very nature of the, the new blood coming in, specifically uh, Morishita and Takao Koyama there. What else can we take away from this, though? I just see it more and more every day as Torishima knows something and sees something that I don't know and I don't see and that's why he's Kazuhiko Torishima. Yeah, I guess then again, he, he is the guy who said that uh, Resurrection F had a fantastic story, and I just don't see that well, either. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like because I it was like I because I, I really want to watch these these Dragon Ball episodes and then watch the Piccolo death and and see what he's seeing there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and find this new insight that the, the Torishima has that I never noticed before. But I even having this conversation, I'm, I'm still just seeing it. Really doesn't seem like all that much changed outside of the aesthetics, you know. Outside of the the branding, outside of this 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 slight musical change, outside of this slight color change, you know, right? And those are all things that they would do later, like you said in the Boo arc. And it still felt like Dragon Ball Z Episode 1 feels like Dragon Ball Episode 154, the exact same way that Dragon Ball Z Episode 200 indeed feels like Dragon Ball Z Episode 200. So I don't know what we can take away from this, just other than it <laughs> happened. And, and, and at least at least now we know why Z happened, and we can put all the rumors to bed at the very least. Yeah. But it's it's very insightful interview at the very least. Definitely, definitely. Torishima's always got good stuff to say. So Lance, uh, Dragon Ball Dissection, how's that treating you over on YouTube? Oh, wow. I, I can't believe I've been doing this for almost six years now. <laughs> uh, I just finished the Frieza arc. I'm going to be working on the uh, TV version of the 23rd Budokai, which is actually kind of what led me into finding this topic in nice the first time, place. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, things, things, things are going great over there. I'm gearing up for Dragon Ball Dissection December, where I put out a new Dragon Ball Dissection video uh, every week through the month of December, which is going to completely uh, cause me to have no sleep and maybe cause me to go slightly insane. But... You know, I I enjoy doing it, and hopefully I'll survive again. Uh, but if you want to check that out, that's at uh, www.youtube.com slash MisterFusion, M-I-S-T-A-R-E-F-U-S-I-O-N. Uh, please check it out. Uh, I love to get into good, uh, good debates over on YouTube. <laughs> I love it because you are clearly someone who is born and bred in the Zaizenshu EX, Konsentai, Konsenshu community and uh one of the few people whose opinion uh i value and i get something new out of so thank you for producing what you produce i i, I will never deny that i was born and bred in the dizex konzentai konzenshu way of thinking I, I i would never be able to do the series uh to the level that i do it without the database that you guys have made on your site over the past uh 19 years now <laughs> we're about to hit 20 and it's really scary <laughs> Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you on multiple levels. Thank you for making stuff and thank you for thanking us. Um, I guess that brings our topic to a close. Lance, thank you. Thank you, Mike. 
Thanks as always. I say as always, it's been a while. Internet time feels like yesterday to me, but I guess it's been quite some time since Lance has been on the show. Uh, by all means, go check out Dragon Ball Dissection, his uh, video series on YouTube after you're done here. If you want more fun Dragon Ball content from someone who absolutely adores the show and certainly knows what he's talking about, uh, full recommendation from the Consensu staff here. So otherwise, before we bring things to a close, let's do just a little bit of random Q&A, I guess, because sure. <laughs> These questions all come from the absolute most last minute request on Twitter. So uh, it's very, again, I used the, the phrase hyper-focused earlier. Uh, it's a very hyper-focused period of time where I said, hey, give me questions. And whatever, whatever I got in that immediate response time frame is what I'm pulling from here. Uh, kicking things off, Marquise asks, where's the contest at? I'd love to go in on a fun contest for the community. Also, how has everything been with the Consensu crew? Thank you for asking. No one ever actually asks us how we are and how things are going and if all is well with the world. I appreciate that. Uh, things are going great. Uh, Julian's busy with his family. Heath's busy with his family. Jake's busy off protecting space. I'm busy with everything that's going on in my neck of the woods. But otherwise, you know, trekking along. Everyone's good. Everyone's happy. Everyone's healthy. Good times. Uh, where are the contest at? Yes, I am looking over on top of my bookshelves down here. Let's call it Konzenshu Hall of Records East Coast Headquarters. Trademark, registered copyright. Our buddy Albert back <laughs> at Animation got me actually i have two things from albert that are still sitting here that i've been waiting for the perfect opportunity to give away one of them is a set of the dragon ball gt perfect files i had a specific time frame that i did want to give those away maybe that'll come back around again at some point in the future so hold tight on that the other thing the first season of funimation's release of dragon ball z kai signed by a whole bunch of people japanese and american alike from Animazement. Uh, that's kind of sitting there as that's got to be held on to for something really significant at this point, because it's been a few years. I, I kind of feel like maybe I'll just hold on to that for episode 500 of the podcast. Um, there may in fact be a Masako Nozawa uh, autograph on there along with some other folks. So that's a, that's a pretty big one. Uh, Albert went above and beyond for that. Uh, so contests, there are things for contests. I also have many extra Psycho Jump issues I would be happy to get rid of. Uh, I just don't want to ship them. <laughs> I have stuff. I certainly have stuff. It is not for lack of stuff. So thank you. Uh, contest. We'll do a contest again at some point in the future. If anyone has uh, good ideas about um, types of contests they would like to see, uh, I'm all ears. A follow-up to that, Marquise asks, uh, how often do you guys get to actually enjoy the series as a fan rather than from an editorial standpoint? Uh, that is an episode in and of itself. Maybe we'll <laughs> I'm going to steal that as a topic for some point in the future. See, Slow Rick asks, what kind of key wave and key sphere attacks? Don't know what you really mean by key sphere attacks. Would you give Kale and Caulifla? Man, all right. So I did a little bit of research here. Not really. But <laughs> yeah, open up Wikipedia and look for a related word. So cauliflower and broccoli actually belong to the genus Brassica, apparently. I think a cool attack coming from cauliflower would be, and we're going to pull in a couple different things here. So cauliflower is white. So what if it was just a, like her trademark key attack, like her version of the uh, Gallico, the Gallic Cannon, or the Kamehameha? What if it was white brassica? That's what I'm, I'm naming an attack. I, I think that's a cool name for an attack for cauliflower. Uh, white brassica. And then kale. I kind of feel like uh, everything about kale should just be unnamed and a total mystery and never explained. and <laughs> just appears on screen for some reason uh so i uh i refuse to give any names for anything that kale does but white brassica uh, that's uh 
that's going to be my headcanon for Cauliflaw's uh, signature attack until told or shown otherwise. Let's see. I don't know if it's Mickleton or Michaelton. Uh, opinions on the less developed badass characters like Hit and Jiren. Uh, I think Mary and I went into quite a little bit of that on our spoiler segment on last episode 428 here and uh, our kind of knee-jerk reaction to the one-hour special, really just the two episodes back-to-back. My thing is I need a little bit more from these characters, Jiren in particular. We've gotten a little bit more out of Hit uh, over the arcs. I still don't love him. I think he is a, a little bit more interesting of a character than he was when he was first set up. At this point, Jiren is what he is and who he is, and I'm hoping there is more to him if this is literally all there is to him. And I, I'm going to give Toriyama and some of the production staff a little benefit of the doubt here. It's got to be a little bit more to him, right? I really hope so, or else... He's just not going to do it for me. Uh, lots of people sending in lots of questions. Uh, Marquise gave a couple there. Slow Rick asks a few here. I'm not going to answer all of your questions. Going to give other people a chance here too. But I think this is a, a curious one. Do you think we need a past arc, so to speak, to show off Universe 13 to 18 and their destroyers or gods of destruction and angels? Uh, I don't know how much more I really want to see of the other universes. Uh, I think we really want to see more of Universe 6. We've grown to enjoy those characters they've shown us a little bit of that universe and of course they showed off a little bit with uh topo and his comrades as well uh, universe six i think we want to see the cyan home world in universe six and we want to see what else is going on out there we've recently seen some namekians as well uh, I, I think because of the correlation to our universe universe seven i think uh, we inherently want to know a little bit more about that see some of those differences learn how they came about so differently i think that gives more of an interesting backstory than oh and there was this other universe and they had these different races and th- this is just who they are eh, like okay they're, they're fun for fodder characters in the tournament but i don't necessarily want or need to know more about them universe six seems like a cool place to start exploring and then maybe trickle out from there uh, it's definitely set up to be something with limitless potential. If anyone really took it upon themselves, they could do an entire series about these heroes or these fighters from all these different universes. They could go for decades telling these stories. Uh, I don't necessarily think they will or should, but there's certainly the potential for it there. Raphael asks, difference between End of Z Vegeta, GT Vegeta, and Super Vegeta as a character? Man, I mean, that could be a topic (laughs) in and of itself as well. Uh, Speaking of Lance, so we did a discussion all about Vegeta as a character. I think, was that the last episode under the Daizenshu EX banner before we shifted over to Kanzenshu? Uh, so maybe go back and check out that episode. I don't remember what we talked about. That was probably a good episode, though. But uh, I'll throw that in the back of my mind, or as I actually do on my giant list of master notes for future podcast episodes. Maybe that's something we'll readdress. That would, of course, require us to uh, have super completed because I don't really want to talk about something that uh, has a ways to go. We don't know where that character could end up. I mean, theoretically, we know where he's going to end up because they're approaching the end of Z. Anyway, you know what we're talking about there. Unspeakable evil. Great question here. How come sometimes Vegito is spelled with an I? <laughs> Much like Frieza, Vegito is not actually spelled with an I. All right. So here's how this name works. We know, obviously, that Vegito. It's explained for us in the series, but it makes much more sense in Japanese. Vegito's name is a combination of Vegeta, Vegeta, and Kakaroto, Kakarot. When you combine Vegeta 
and to from the two respective names, you get bijito. That's a hard uh, double consonant sound at the end there. So you could use an I. If you do a direct romanization of bijito, you would romanize that out. You would transliterate that out into our alphabet as B-E-J-I, extended I, so maybe a double I or an I with a macron, T-T-O. However, that would be like spelling out trunkusu instead of trunks. Uh, we know where this name comes from. We know what it's a pun on or a play on or kind of differently in this case it's a combination of two other names so what it makes the most sense to do with Vegito's name is look at how you spell Vegeta and how you spell Kakaroto or Kakarot and use some kind of combination of those two names to come about with the fusion name because that's exactly what's being done in Japanese so this is one of those cases where the intent is just as important as the actual end result of a spelling. There have been actually three official spellings for this character's name in North America <laughs> over the years since 1997. The one thing I don't have in front of me that uh, normally I would have done the appropriate fact-checking research, but because this is kind of spur-of-the-moment questions I don't have in front of me, uh, the American releases of the Super Battle Collection, those had some names prior to Funimation finalizing what some of them would be. That's actually where we first saw Mr. Savage, which didn't end up being used as they moved to Hercule later on. And uh, Frieza spelled with two E's, correctly spelled with two E's. Uh, so I would want to double check and find that. Otherwise, <laughs> the three off the top of my head that I know have been used over the years, starting in 97 with the final bout, his name was written out as V-E-G-E-T-T-O, which is my preferred spelling and the spelling I use to this day. The spelling that Funimation went with in uh, conjunction with all of their Irwin figures ahead of the character's actual appearance in their dub of the show was this spelling with the I, the V-E-G-I-T-O spelling. And then uh, a more different spelling, this gets to what I was talking about with combining uh, the the way that you are spelling these two names and the intent of the character's name, and that's Vegerot, or probably Vegerot, or Vegerot. It's kind of hard to figure out how you want to pronounce that name uh, in Viz's official English translation of the manga. So you have those, as far as I know, those three official English spellings in American-licensed merchandise over here. So here's the big question, that <laughs> like Viz did, do you go with the obvious intent, and that's to merge these two names names. They use Vegeta and they use Kakarot. Well, it makes sense to use what is being done in Japanese, the Vegit and then the Rot from the end of Kakaroto. That double T, that consonant sound is uh, inferring and indicating that uh, hard ending sound. That's why we would spell it as Kakarot uh, instead of Kakaroto or uh or for a more recent example, why we'd spell it as hit and not hitto. So I don't know if I've truly answered your question. <laughs> the I could come in from a direct romanization, uh, transliterating that name into our alphabet. But that doesn't really make sense to do. Uh, the question with Funimation has consistently been, where did the I come from in that name with Frieza and Vegito? Um, it's curious. Uh, don't really know why they ended up going with that instead of V-E-G-E-T-T-O, which uh, Bandai used over here uh, again in Final Bout. Uh, Vegito, that's how it's uh, traditionally written out in most Japanese merchandise as well. I think to the Japanese Super Battle Collection, even some of the more recent figures are spelled out as V-E-G-E-T-T-O. Uh, other alternate spellings you may see out there, V-E-G-E-T, or maybe a double T at the end there. That was somewhat popular when I was first getting 
into the series uh, in the mid late nineties before the really before Final Bout came out. So again, a hyper focused period of time for me in ninety uh, six. There, I saw Vegeta a lot. Uh, that gets exactly what it's supposed to be: the Vigi from Vegeta and the hard T from Kakarot. I really recommend you go V-E-G-E-T-T-O. It's our style guide on Konzenshu. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we don't spell it as Kakaroto. Uh, we spell it as K-A-K-A-R-R-O-T to kind of get uh, the carrot pun source across more. So again, don't know if I answered your question. I hope I did. But uh, our recommendation uh, for lack of anything that makes much more sense in our alphabet uh, as opposed to Japanese where it makes a lot of sense is V-E-G-E-T-T-O. Let's see, Tony asks here, what's the best and worst thing about the super dub? Googly eyes, question mark. Um, so multi-part answer here. One, well, what dub are you talking about? Clearly, you're talking about Funimation's English dub, or not clearly, but I'm assuming you're talking about Funimation's English dub. Just being a little bit of a jerk at you there, but Super is dubbed in countless other countries, and I would like to check in on them. Uh, thing is, I have not seen any of Funimation's English dub of Dragon Ball Super. Uh, I just don't have an interest and doesn't really have any relevance to the show or the site um it's being simulcast in japanese and before then obviously it was being fan subbed and the home release is available in japanese from the start and just didn't feel like reviewing it for the site because i've already watched battle of gods stuff several times over and didn't really have much of an interest in watching it again except this time in english so um again don't have a great answer for you i've heard that mageta is um pretty disastrous sounds like they made some uh casting adjustments specifically with hit i have no first-hand opinion on any of this though so um good luck to you out there if you're watching the english dub uh, and the whole thing's available in japanese so go watch it in japanese it's our recommendation it's Gonzenshu. come on and we'll wrap it up jake herms thank you for contributing uh ultra instinct technique or transformation why not both? Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like the kind of thing anyone could potentially learn or adapt to or integrate into their fighting style if they truly become enlightened to that point. At the same time, uh, things seem to change about Goku's appearance, at least uh, from what little we've seen. Um, that could change down the road as well. I know a lot of people want to throw some candy pictures at me if you know what that means and you know what that means and if you don't uh you probably don't need to worry about it for the time being i think it's probably a technique or a fighting style or a state of being on top of that uh, i think if goku's appearance is going to change i don't know but then you could say like kaioken is that a technique or a transformation and i would definitely say that's more of a technique it's it's in the name the kaioken <laughs> it's a technique uh ultra instinct i don't know man i don't know i'm gonna say it's a little bit of both let's leave it there before anyone else asks me really difficult questions that i clearly don't have the answer to or the time to fact check before i attempt to answer them here on the show www.kanzenshuu.com that is kanzenshu.com we got a mike we got a jake we got a heath we got a julian that is our website. You're listening to the podcast. It's an extension of that website. Enjoy the show. Hit us up on the site, on the forum, on all the social medias. Love to hear from you. Uh, what you're thinking about.
about everything. What you're thinking about Super. What you think about the podcast episodes. What do you think about the news? What do you think of some of the content we've been posting on the site? I uh, want to hear from you. Enjoy hearing from you. So that being said, for those three other dudes, and thank you again to Lance. I have been Mike Vegito EX. This was episode 429 of our podcast. See you next time for episode 430. Bye-bye.